Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Take me to the volcano! It's really called this. You have to ask for the vinegar with the mother in it. Oh, come on. Quick I need, no. Seriously. Maybe Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't know. I don't know if we'll have enough time. But uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? Welcome to Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete, episode number. Wow, my phone's ringing. What a great intro. There's sirens going off. Episode number 130, coming to you live from Bayside, New York, Comac, New York, and Freehold, New Jersey. It is the Ready to Unload New York Sports Talk podcast, coming to you, talking sports nice, no big deal. We're going to talk sports nice on a Tuesday. We're on short rest. We're on three days rest tonight because uh, I'm going away. I got the thing with the guy. I got to go away. I got a thing to take uh, care of with that with that thing, with Tootie. I could do it uh, to take care of with Tootie. Um, so we're doing it on a Tuesday night, and uh, we have a great show. We have a ton of sports to talk about. We'll hang out. No big whoop. And uh, that's that. So let's get right to it because uh, we want to get right to it tonight. Let's do this. Let's just do this. All right? Uh, okay, so uh, the host, the co-host of the program. Boy, I'm out of sorts. We had some technical difficulties. Kel. Must be a Tuesday thing. You know who's not out of sorts? Uh, the producer of Bishop Pop Culture, PJ. We're going to bring him in in a minute because we have to bring in the co-host first. Obviously. I don't know what kind of program you think you're running here. But here he is. Direct from an engagement at My Sides Heard. Oh, My Sides. Which is a long name for a comedy club in Wichita, Kansas. He is Calneva Calpino Caliente. Happy birthday, Bri. Thank you, Steve. Hi. Hi. Is the flux capacitor fluxing here? Yeah, I, I, I appear to have screwed the entire thing up tonight. I apologize. Great job, everybody. Yeah, here we go again. Good job. Break your arm, patting yourself on the back, okay? All right, good job. Just when we think we have all the tech worked out, we've been doing the show for 114 years. Eh, not so much. Yeah. Well, we have a guest tonight on the program, Cal. I know. Is he, is he here? He's not here yet, but I'm very excited. He's going to call in in a couple of minutes. His name is John Presser. He is the lead writer for RantSports.com for the Jets. He also has his own Mets website called TheShayFaithful.com. Uh, I've been tweeting. Here's how this works, Cal. I've been tweeting back and forth with this guy for like six or eight months. Like We're just commenting on each other's very level-headed, good Met tweets. Or at least I, I think they're good. I love me. Who do you love? And uh, we are clearly like-minded Met and Jet fans. So well, we're, going, we're going back and forth nice. And I said, you know what? You should come on the, the program. 
And he said, I, Steve, I would love to. I don't know. I, <laughs> he didn't sound like that. I made was him he, sound. Was yeah. he that excited? I, I made him sound like an English gentleman. Stephen, I would love to. That would be a delight to come and talk uh, sports with you. It'd be awesome. Um, I don't know if he's British. He could be. Brian, we don't know. Uh, we're going to find out. We are going to find out. So he's going to call and we're going to talk Mets uh, and Jets. We have a ton to talk and about his blog and stuff uh, and find out how he got into it and stuff and his his Met origin story. It's a, it's a little like uh, the Avengers, Cal. It's not, it's not at all like the Avengers, is it? I, I, I don't know his story. We're going to find out his origin story. I mean, I, it, know, I know the Avengers story. I just I don't know his story, though. Did you like that movie? I did. Did not care for it. Yeah, a lot of people didn't. I liked it more than most people, I think. Couldn't make it through the movie. Wow. Are you a a ScarJo guy, though? Are you a big ScarJo guy? I'm not, no. We're going to talk later in the program with the Bishop Pop Culture PJ, uh, because he has a ton to say about the Oscars and uh, how he should be watching more movies and less TV. But... um, uh, we're going to talk about ScarJo. We're going to talk about uh, Jennifer Lawrence, J-Law. Because I don't know what happened or where this girl... She can do no wrong, by the way. Well, not if yeah, you ask my wife. In, these people... Oh, is that right? Well, I forgot. But your wife has special circumstances because of the whole Hunger Games thing. Uh, a little bit, but a she's little. not a fan. Not, a, not so much. No. With the J-Law. Well, I think, I, I think I, she'd I, like to see a little more couth. Out of J Law, I was. She's twenty two. I said the same thing, but they, they. She had quote unquote from Chris Connolly on the BS report. She had a tremendous award season. Hmm. He, he made it sound like she like like it was like uh like at the combine. <laughs> she had. I mean, she worked out tremendously in this award season. She was answering twenty thirty questions an hour. Really unbelievable. She really peaked at the right time. Right. She made it through the Wonderlick uh, a- ABC Good Morning America test. She killed what was, her, what was her 40 time? Her 40? <laughs> exactly. She killed it. She killed it. Um, I, I am not we'll, – we'll talk about that later. Okay. Sport, sports now, Oscars later. Fair enough. Sports. Let, let's do it. Well, let's take care of some uh, business. How are you, though? We're on a Tuesday night. We're on short rest. How's your arm? Are you loose? Yeah, I'm I'm Okay. I I got a couple innings in me. We're we're definitely running the 1962 rotation out there. Yeah. This where is, uh, where you you throw 19 innings a week as a, <laughs> as a starter. Uh, I was watching the uh, Mets top 50 of all time team. Mm-hmm. And it kills me again to see Seaver pitching Game Four of the World Series. All 10 innings, two one win. Right. All 10 innings. Pitches a 10-inning complete game win, 2-1, to one, against the Orioles with, like, four Hall of Famers on the team. Right, like it's nothing. Yeah, no, there's, he probably could have came out and pitched the next day in Game 5 if they needed him, but they right. didn't because Kuzman threw a complete game. Oh, I miss that. I miss that. Are you all right? Is everything all right? Yeah, why are you asking? You're, you're beginning to worry me, that's all. Oh, that's weird. I don't know why. I don't <laughs> I can't see you. I don't like this. <laughs> Because we don't have FaceTime working. I can't see you. Um, oh, Presser is here. I'm getting word he's here. Well, let's do the – hold on. We have to do the uh, 
the Blue Haven thing because we're sponsored. The show is sponsored. Tonight's episode of Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete is sponsored by Blue Haven NYC in Greenwich Village, New York City's sports bar for grown-ups. Go to www.bluehavennyc.com for details. Hey, Bri. Yes, Steve. The uh, the NCAA tournament March Madness coming up soon, right around the corner. Yep, they're gonna have Selection Sunday, all that fun stuff that we ignore for five months of the year, and then and then for three weeks we talk about it a little. You know, it's a great place to watch NCAA basketball, Cap. Blue Haven. That's right. Good job. <laughs> they set them up, knock them out of the park. Am I right about that? You. That was a good guess. Uh, no, we uh, <laughs> uh, we are sponsored, of course, by Blue Haven NYC, the sports bar for grown-ups in Greenwich Village, New York, on the corner of Houston and Thompson. Go to www.bluehavennyc.com for details. It is a sports bar for adults. You're not going to find kids playing pong in the back, you know, and that's fine if that's what you're into. But if you just want to go watch the game, have great food, have awesome beers, eh, go to Blue Haven. They're going to have all the games. They have like 17 TVs. They have huge screens. Uh, we're going to be doing our next live remote from there in about three weeks, uh, in the third week of March or something nice. So go there. That's all I'm saying. All right? Cal, is that all right with you? It's fine with me. All right? You go, Boy, this is a show with attitude tonight. This is a show has at on Fox. In your face. In your face. On Fox. It's not, really, at all. Well, let's bring the poor guy in. He is the, uh, I got music nice for him. Well, who did that? Oh, PJ. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so angry at PJ right now. I didn't. I didn't do that. What are you talking about? I don't know. I had I didn't first touch intro anything. music. I had intro music. Well, you hit it twice then, because I didn't touch anything. There's the intro music. Ah, this is the professional outfit we've become. <laughs> Don't you let's, blame me. I'll take it to the shop store. <laughs> let's welcome him into the program. He is the lead writer for the Jets on RantSports.com. He is also uh, has his own Mets blog called TheShapeFaithful.com. Uh, he and I have been going back and forth on Twitter for some time now, uh, so we're really super excited to have him on the podcast. His name is John Presser. Hey, John. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. I don't have a British accent, unfortunately, but I know... Uh, one of our listeners, Steve, is is listening from overseas, so kudos to him. And, uh, again, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the uh, the opportunity to yeah, chill no and worries. talk sports with you guys. Yeah, no worries. I, I, uh, I love that uh, Steve is listening uh, because I'm going to do at least four versions of my British dialect tonight. Um, and yeah. just – yeah, just I'll, I'll whip out the Liverpoolian one. A part, of me, a part of me wanted to be like, hello, chaps, to like answer the phone, but – <laughs> no, no. I do, I do like the the Arrested Development intro though. That's uh, that's very clutch. I you like, like that. that? Yeah, I went, I, I went for that. Uh, welcome to the show, man. It's it's great to have you on. We're gonna talk a, a ton about the Mets and and we have to talk about the Jets. That would be crazy pants not to. But um, b- before we get going with everything, uh, I of course am Sam Pete uh, Cal, if you will introduce yourself. Let's Hello, get you John. To- I am it's- Cal. Hello, Cal. Hello, San Pete. I, I, you know, it's fun. You're, you're talking about how we've been going back and forth on Twitter, yeah. and it's like I knew you guys had a podcast. I, I remember seeing RTU and not knowing what it stood for, which is just 
terrible reading comprehension by me. <laughs> and then uh, Sam Pete uh, hits me up yesterday, the day before, saying, you know, you got to come on the podcast. And I'm like, I love podcasts. I like talking sports. Let's do this thing. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see the last. It was Costanza style. I, do you want to have some yeah. fun? No. Do you really want to have some fun? I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying I want to have fun. I don't really. Um, the thing with RTU, John, is that it doesn't really have to stand for anything. You could you could make it stand for whatever you want it. It's a very that's, existential acronym. That, I like that. Yeah, that's where I'm going with that. <laughs> wow. That and that is maybe the third use of existential in the 130 episodes that we've done. So we're already blazing a trail here. We're already. This is already. Uh, one for the time capsule. Well, um, uh, let's get right into it. Uh, and I want to talk about the Mets first, um, and then we can definitely move to the Jets. Um, you know, you you and I, John, have had uh, very uh, sort of level-headed tweets going back and forth. Um, yeah. This and, and Cal and I have talked a great deal in the last three or four weeks about uh, how this fan base or where this fan base has moved to and where we stand sort of being the minority that are not only uh, not only feel like Man. Andy Alderson is is doing the right thing and building something to win, but also uh, with a you know remembering uh, Frank Cashin and rebuilding this team in the early '80s and 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 how this team should be built. Uh, you you're a level-headed fan. Let me. The first thing I want to ask you is: Does the Alderson do the jokes about the outfield and and uh, does that stuff bother you? Because it doesn't bother us. No, it really doesn't bother me at all. I think uh, a friend of mine who was at that, uh, I don't know if it was a season ticket holder, Q&A or whatever, when he made like the Manti Teo jokes about uh, talking to some outfielders on the internet, I yep. thought that was that was hilarious to me because, you know, like Sandy, I've, I've kind of got that dry, like, you know, self-deprecating wit and... You know, this is a guy. He is a brilliant guy. He's a he's an ex marine. He's a law school, Harvard Law. You know, like and he's running a baseball team. It's not life and death stuff. And you know, like for him to, you know, make light of a somewhat, you know, what fans think is such a dire situation, when in reality, you know, I'd have to think that outfield is like one of the easiest positions to find usually, and you know, I'd rather have a strong strong core of young pitching and, you know, offense from the infield, a la these, you know, Mets teams that made the playoffs a decade ago. And, you know, somewhere along the way, you'd like to find an outfield. Now, I can understand why guys, you know, people were bothered by it. They're angry that the Mets didn't sign a major outfielder, you know, all season. And, you know, when I would point out that, you know, they made a, a I thought a pretty shrewd trade for Colin Cowgill. They're saying, you know, who is this guy? You know, he's not, you know, he's no good. And, you know, two strings, two, three spring training games, he's, you know, he's a cat's meow. He's already got an overplayed nickname and all these things. So, you know, it, yeah, is it frustrating? We don't have an outfield. Sure. But, you know, it, to call it like that one Grantland writer said the, the worst thing of all time. It's, it's oh. ridiculous. And, you know, by the time the Mets are ready to contend, which is hopefully 2014, uh, you'd have to imagine that they'll be able to find an outfield somewhere. So, John, you know, I'm not overly concerned. We talked about the worst outfield in the history of humanity, I think is what he called it. The mm -hmm. worst outfield in the history of, of, of anything. Um, but now reports or rumors or whatever you want to call it come out today that you know, the Mets could have an outfielder if they really wanted to. 
in Giancarlo Stanton from the mm. Marlins. And I, I, I would imagine you have seen this rumor floating around today. Uh, the Marlins would trade Stanton for Travis Darno and Zach Wheeler. And yeah, I Stephen Steve and I have been going back and forth on this. I I want to get your take on on what you would do if that let's if that offer were presented to you. Now I think I think it's it's nonsense, but hypothetically speaking, if that offer were presented, what would you do? Um, you know, I can't say it's not tempting because John Carl Stanton is, is obviously one of the better outfield young, you know, as far as what you've got as a value with him being under team control, being so young, a right-handed hitter, a power hitter, like he fits, you know, if it's like a fantasy draft, if it's, you know, playing 2K or MLB The Show or something, you know, you want this guy in your team. He's going to fit any ballpark. He's going to fit anywhere, you know. It's, it, he can hit the ball out of, you know, into the atmosphere if he, if he really had to. But you can't trade Travis Darno and Zach Wheeler really for anybody, you know, especially to a division rival, you know, when you've got combined 12 or so years of team control on those two guys, you really want those guys haunting you forever. Eventually you've got to pay uh, Stanton and he's going to get a big contract probably by the time he's 24 or 25 and you're going to be paying him superstar money. And it's, yeah, no, just, <laughs> let me, it's a ridiculous let me, rumor. It's let not going to def- happen. And and you oh, know what, Cal had the uh, Cal was spot on about this today because we we were getting into it a little bit with our with our buddies or whatever and and in a, in a uh, what do you do uh, sort of Dennis Hopper uh, hot shot uh, sort of way and uh, we or the hot shot catcher as as Travis Darno is known to Mike Francesa um, but it, we were talking about it and the the, the Interesting thing to me is, and Cal had this. He he said, obviously, <laughs> boy, does Stanton's management really want to get him out of Florida? Because they're they, they clearly floated this out there, you know. Like this rumor came from SFX, his management group, were trying desperately to get Giancarlo out of there. But I couldn't. I wanted to desperately dismiss it, dismiss it out of school. I did. I really right. did. There was one little part of me, little part of me, that said he's younger than both Darno and Wheeler, and yeah, he's already it's got crazy. He's already got three God. years. Uh, like, can, uh, here's what I had to say to myself, John: Can I put him in that trout category? Like, honestly, the only guy I can think of, and, and again, it's not fantasy baseball. It's never going to happen. But the only guy, if you're, if you're coming to me and saying, we want Travis Wheeler and, I mean, uh, we want Zach Wheeler and Travis Darno, uh, we'll give you Mike Trout. I'd say, okay. I, that, I would make that deal. I would. He's probably the only, I wouldn't make that deal for Harper, mind you. Right. I'm just making that deal for Mike Trout because uh, it's uncomfortable between Mike and I, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I'm not talking restraining order or anything, but uh, he's the only guy. But I, yeah, it's close to put Stanton in that category when you realize he's only 23. He's hit 100 home runs in a in a ballpark that's terrible, and he, but not for both. No, you're right. Cal's shaking his head furiously. Uh, you're right. Not for both. Okay, I'm sorry. I had a moment of weakness. 
crazy. I would. I don't think I trade him. I don't think I trade either one of them for him. Quite honestly. Well, that's the kicker, right? Like I, I'm. I I'm certainly. I would have to really think about it for one of them. I'm definitely not giving you both. Like, there's no chance I'm giving you. We just got this guy ten minutes ago. Can we get him? Can we? Can we get the P upside down on his jersey first before we were trading him? I, I not both. I. I do you, John? Do you think that was a uh, a plant? Do you think that they're just trying to get him out of Florida? Um, I'd I'd be shocked if it wasn't. I, I mean, it's not coming from the Mets. I, I think we know that. That's for sure. Uh, I doubt it's coming from the Marlins because they really have no incentive to float him out for you know, like they could probably get the world for for this guy and. You know, comparing him to Mike Trout for a second, you're right. Like, Trout, I, I see Trout as the cream of the crop as far as what an asset is in baseball. He's just he's 21 years old. He can steal bases. He can hit for power. I didn't think he could hit for power like 30 home runs and 639 plate appearances, but apparently he can. <laughs> uh, you know, Trout walks at a decent rate uh, compared to Stanton, who, you know, both are young guys, and they both struck out their fair share amount of times. And, you know, you could argue all day about, you know, a productive out and strikeouts and how much strikeouts really kill you. But, you know, yeah, Stanton is only 23 years old. It's, you know, he's been in the big league since he was 20. And, you know, the the, the big one of the bigger things is because it's in the division. You know, like, it's not like, we're talking about right. Preston Wilson and company, you know, <laughs> for Mike Piazza, where these guys are just dumping him fire sale wise. And, you know, the Marlins every now and then actually do make a decent trade. Uh, the Mets have been able to, you know, take advantage of fire sales before they did it with Delgado the same way. So, you know, if and when they do make Stanton available and I, I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not a Marlin next year. But I'm a, I, I think he's going to play out the season here uh, in 2013. You know, it, they were they're in no rush to move him. Uh, if they're delusional enough to think that they can really build around him, uh, you know, more power to them. They're obviously, you know, Jeffrey Loria, David Sampson, you know, I have not been shy about my feelings on them. They really make the yeah. ponds look like Jerry Buss. It's, it's ridiculous. And they should, you know, they're an embarrassment. And honestly, it's an indictment on Bud Selig that he lets these, these you will ponds and Loria's and, you know, yep. these crooks. So Loria's a crook. And, you know, for him to not only have one team run it into the ground and, you know, escape town before he has to foot the bill, but then do it again to another city is, is absurd. And, you know, God forbid a guy like Mark Cuban tries to buy a team and, oh, no, that's bad for baseball. Yeah, you, but you can't it, have that, right? It, it's, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, you, but, look at the, you look at the way that he made it his life's mission to get Frank McCourt out of, uh, out of owning right, the like, Dodgers. What, what's, what was so bad about Frank McCourt that, like, he's – everything that, you know, MLB has to crusade against, but right. a guy like Gloria is A-OK. Like, I, I don't really – I don't think Selig's ever going to let us know. He's probably just going to try to fade off into the distance when he retires and never fix that. I'm just hoping the next commissioner has a has a bit of a backbone because Selig does not. And, you know, 
it's it's ridiculous that you've got these two owners in the in the NL East right here that you know are really just a, a black eye on the sport. Well, the next commissioner will be Sandy Alderson, right? <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it be awesome if Sandy Alderson was like quietly buying the shares of the team, like under the <laughs> radar, and just like retired from his GM post, promoted Dupadista, and just like owned the team and uh, could flex the financial muscle all of a sudden, and just get be- everybody everybody who criticized him like just completely jaw dropped that all of a sudden Sandy's spending money because that's that's what I love is the people who criticize him like why isn't Sandy spending like it's his wallet like his money that he's not spending on that's one of my favorites yeah Uh, and and also uh, I love that he you know why hasn't Sandy spent any money blah 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 blah. well you have to have some to spend last year he had about nine dollars to spend on the ball club you know, I mean, I know this year that the but before the Madoff uh, decision was was brought in, you know, he had no money to spend at all anyway. You know, and there's a difference between well, that's uh, Cal, you you uh, had something. Yeah, no, I, I wanted to. We we're talking about Stanton, who's clearly not a Met, probably will never be a Met, but I wanted to talk about a guy who is a Met right now, and that's Lucas Duda. And John, are you worried about him at this point, or is it too early to be concerned? Um, you know, it's hard to say because I don't like to overreact to, you know, February baseball and, you know, the fact that he's, I'm not concerned that he's 0 for 7 with 6 strikeouts or whatever it is. What I am concerned with is that he will never be a good outfielder and he's going to need to put up, you know, big time stats really somewhere along the line of, you know, decent stats to really justify having him in the light. Because, I mean, let's face it, City Field is not an outfield for guys like Lucas Duda to be plodding around in. You know, it, it's not right field at the old Yankee Stadium. It, you can't hide a guy. And when they had, you know, for instance, Jason Bay in one corner and Duda in the other, I was never a fan of Jason Bay's defense. I think when Jason Bay came here, we were, we thought he was going to be so bad that when he was only a little below average, we we considered that a huge win and we're raving about him when in reality, you know, he was a bad defender and when you had both these guys in the corners, it was absolutely brutal. Yeah. Now, he's also he was also an effort guy, so he got credit for effort. You know, like he you know, they right. they would make a tremendous effort to dive for a ball or whatever that he should have had in his back pocket. Should have had in his everybody back loves anyway. the Right. Everybody loves the unathletic guys who who try real hard and you know, can't stand the guys like Carlos Beltran is one of my favorite all-time players who is so athletic and so gifted that he makes it look easy that he could, you know, run into the gap like a gazelle and not have to dive. And people are questioning his effort when he's playing with a broken, you know, skull in 2005. <laughs> but, you know, the, the the thing about Lucas Duda is that he he's shown something, you know. It's not like he's a guy who they're just – they're wondering if he's got anything. If you look at when he came up in 2011 after they traded Beltran for Scott, uh, for Zach Wheeler, Duda played every day in right field. In the second half of the season, post-All-Star break, he hits 322, 411 on base, 546 slugging, 957 OPS. Thank you, baseball reference. And my I thought favorite, you knew that off the top of my your head. My favorite website. Yeah. I, I'm not a savant like that. I, I, I can multitask. Uh, and Why yeah, like, like it, though? <laughs> The the fact that he was able to do that over a 240-something plate appearances, you know, obviously 
small sample size is a small sample size, but, you know, Lucas Duda is not the total mess that he looked like last year when he hit, you know, 239 for the full season. But, you know, he's going to, as I said, like he's he's going to have to put up some sort of offense. Now I don't think he's going to hit 322 or anything like that for a full season, but if he can hit in the 270 to 280 range, yeah, he's walk be, at a decent rate. He's got to be representative, yeah. 20, 25 home runs, they can they can live with that. Ideally, I think he'd like to, he'd like to you know, send him to the American League, let him DH or play first base somewhere. But, you know, 2013 is a transitional year, and, you know, that's this is what you're going to have to do. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's apt to really worry about his swing right now. I understand, like, something about the wrist injury out in the offseason uh, enabled him, didn't, you know, didn't let him work out uh, as early as he liked to, so his timing's a little off. But, you know, this this is the time where you fix those things. It's February. It's the end of February. This is the time when you want to be tinkering your swing. You don't want to be do you want to you don't want to do this in April or May. Exactly. So, well, that's that's what know, spring training is. Overreaction in spring training is is rampant. But you know, I don't I'm not overly concerned with Lucas Duda just yet. Yeah, that's a, that's I mean that's what spring training is, and and I think what's gotten lost overall, I think, in baseball, but specifically for the impatient Met fan, is that. Um, baseball is now year round, right? So these guys report two weeks early. They're in camp, like in you know the second week of February. You know, e- even the position players. Like it used to be, you know, you couldn't wait for pitchers and catchers, blah blah blah. Now, like David Wright's there two weeks early. Guys are working on their swing. Daniel Murphy got hurt before players even reported. You know, so it's 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 year round. But what spring training used to be was the time to tinker with your swing. Was the time to uh, work on different stuff. Get yourself in game shape. No, I understand it's 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 not 1957, and they're not going down to Dodger Town. But you know, you can't panic because a guy is trying. Now, does Lucas do to have a ton of time? Well, no, he's not an established player or whatever. If he has something that he's tinkering with, he should do it quickly. But you know, calm down, calm down. It's spring training. This is what you, this is why you go to spring training. You know, I remember I used to come back when when I played, and I you know I, I never played professionally, obviously, but when I played in college, even, and you'd come back and you'd be getting ready for this, even the fall season. You'd have three weeks where you just you, you'd tinker with your swing. That's what you do. That's the time to do it. You know, if you want to go into a, a, an exhibition game and take. 27 pitches in a row just to look at your eye and you strike out three times looking cares. This is the time to do it. It's time to work on stuff. Everybody needs to calm down <laughs> in general. Now, of course, uh, Lucas Duda better get his act together. I'll say that. No, right. and I, I, he has to be representative, John. You're absolutely right. You know, it, it, he doesn't have to hit three, you know, 335 and 35 home runs and, you know, have, he doesn't have to do that. They just need representative play in the outfield because we've been saying this for a long time. brings me to another point. I don't understand how it's not clear to some people, A, what Sandy's plan is, and B, how he's building this team. If, you, if you've if you been watching this team, like how long have you been watching the Mets, John? Um, as long as I can remember. I think the most vivid uh, early memory I have is probably the 96 season with Lance Johnson. Uh, but yes. you know, this is this is every day, every year. As you said, it's a year-round sport now. Like we, you know, 
the off season is almost bigger than the regular season. I'm sure if you ask the guys at MLB Trade Rumors, you know, what their traffic's like, I, I, I bet you their December, January, February is just as big as their, you know, May, June, July. So, oh, yeah, bigger, no doubt. It's all yeah. day. It's 365. It's, it's, you know, it's one of the beauties of the sport, and that's why I love baseball. It's, you know, the fact that we have, you know, something almost resembling real baseball here in February is, is phenomenal. And that's why, you know, SNY, you see Mets Twitter, you know, you know, doing play-by-play for a February game, you know, yep. split squad and all that. But, you know, we, we just we eat this stuff up and, you know, it's, it's not a lot of sports out there that are like this and, you know, it's baseball. But the danger in that, John, and it's kind of what we were just talking about, is that, they're doing play-by-play of the third spring training game in February. And when a guy like Lucas Duda goes 0 for 7, now people are taking it too seriously because there's too much available. So I think it's kind of like a double-edged sword at this point. I'm like you. I can't get enough baseball, and I can weed through the riffraff and, and take it for what it is. But a lot of people can't, and they get so obsessed with it that – and I'll go back. I keep going back to Duda here – He's got a lot of pressure on him for someone who really needs this time to to get himself straight. Right, and you know people are going to overreact to an zero for seven start the same way that they're overreacting. On the other hand, to you know, for instance, Colin Cowgill, who you know two weeks ago no one, you know, most Mets fans didn't know who he was, right. and you know, again, we're not even at March first, and he's already got this more Cowgill. Uh, overplayed nickname, and I'm sure, you know, he's. He, I'm sure he's sick and tired of it. It's not like the Mets are the first fan base to notice that his name sounds like cowbell, or you know. But it would have been it would have been yeah. great if he went on FAN yesterday and was like, "Wow, I have never heard that." Wow, that's a, that's a if, good one, guys. If he had just job. completely played dumb and just like <laughs> pretended that he didn't know what the sketch was and didn't get good the job, reference. everybody. Like, right. If he, if, if he was. It would have been great to have him just like troll Francesca into explaining the sketch, like break down the sketch. I was just gonna say, like he takes it to the level of like making Francesca do Christopher Walken, like just forcing him (laughs) to do his Walken impression. Uh, I can't even imagine what that would sound like, but it would be freaking awesome. I heard him on with Beningo, and Beningo was like, "Listen, bro, bro, been a fan for a hundred years, bro. All right, and this fan base is already starting to like you, bro. Okay." But you know, you know, there's no outfielders on this team, bro. There's no outfielders on this team. So what about that? <laughs> that's the Connecticut School of Broadcasting there for you, folks. That's how you ask the question. What a, that's that's uh, Cal, don't they have a class named uh, What About That 101? With, uh, Colin, you used to play for the Oakland A's. Uh, what about that? Tell me about that. <laughs> how about that, bro? Oh, I love him. He's, you know what though, John? He's. I'm gonna get back to the how Sandy's building the team, but he, I used to love Beningo as 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 a younger person listening to him on the overnights. I really did back when Sports Talk Radio was good and not evil as it is now. Um, and and I loved him because he was the voice of the fan. He has now taken, and I don't mean WFAN, I mean Met and Jet fans. Obviously, he has taken this shtick, and. So many Met fans are like this. Cal and I say it all the time. I don't think Met fans would know what the frig to do with themselves if the team won. Because I think they love the. It's like that line in Swingers. You miss the pain. 
You know, they they love the pain. They absolutely love that mentality of woe is us, LOL Mets. I don't know what I, I, I and I, the Jets are absolutely the same way. Jet fans are absolutely the same way. That it's part of their, it's become their identity. Yeah, I, I could not agree more because, you know, without naming names, you've seen the same usual suspects on Twitter day after day who somehow find themselves in my timeline despite, you know, all of all of my <laughs> best efforts. You know, all my efforts not to let it happen. But yeah, these 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 people are just there are people out there just feed off the negativity that you know are more excited to complain about something negative or even worse, the people who are very pessimistic and want to be proven right about their pessimism more than they want to be proven wrong and have something good happen. And just, I can't stand that. And it is rampant with the Mets and with the Jets. And, you know, if these teams ever did win a championship, you know, these people wouldn't know what to do with themselves. They'd probably just complain that we only have three World Series (laughs) and the Marlins have two in two decades, about time, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, some people really just, they feed off it. And, you know, they want to live their lives that way. That's fine. Just, you know, I don't like when people try to attack other people for daring to be positive about a team that might not, you know, on paper look like a contender this year. You know, I think most Mets fans understand that this team is probably not playoff bound this year. But you have to trust the process or at least, you know, trust that there is a plan in place and, you know, that Sandy Alderson is not just – you know, throwing caution to the wind and duct taping things like some of his predecessors did. So, you know, it's, it's, it's hard in New York to be patient, especially with a rebuild. And, the, you know, the Mets have been coy with that term, rebuild, and haven't really said it, but, you know, that's what they've been doing now for three years. And, you know, it's hard to be patient in an impatient city. But, you know, all, all things considered, I, I've, been pleasantly surprised with the amount of Mets fans that are starting to understand and trust the process, and I think that's that's really a positive sign because, you know, it it sometimes the loud, loud, vocal, negative people <laughs> kind of skew yeah. everything. But you know, I think there are more sane fans out there than we realize. They just yeah. you know, and they're on FAN. I mean, that, right, that is FAN. The the, the the voice. Yeah, the crazy fan now who is miserable all the time, especially in these two fan bases, in the Met and Jet fan base. That's, a, that's who calls FAN. Well, the th- you know, now the way that you're talking, John, I, I'm going to assume that you are buying into the plan of Sandy Alderson, and you, and you get it. You get what he's trying to do, right? Right. You know, to, okay. you know, try to build from within and, you know, hopefully – you know, supplement that with shrewd free agent signings, good value guys in the coming years. And, you know, right. the, the fact that they're handcuffed financially the way that they are is not ideal. But, you know, I've got nothing but, you know, props for Alderson and how he's handled everything so far. But he's kind of weathered the, the, the financial storm of the last couple of years, and he's gotten himself into a position where he's created this payroll flexibility that he's been talking about for a couple of years. And he's only got two guys under contract next year, so he's got a lot of money to spend next year. He's got he's made a couple of, of trades to bring in top prospects that should be building blocks for the future. 
Now, here's my question to you, and, and I've talked about this before with Steve. I feel like we've gone through the worst of it. You know, we've gone through two or three years of, of just, you know, it, it's been really bad, and, and we've needed to get out from the weight of the Bay contract and the Santana contract. And I feel like this year we're kind of on the precipice of you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. You can kind of see it all coming together. And for some reason, this off season, I felt like people chose now to lose their patience with Sammy <laughs> Alderson. And, I, and I, I don't understand why. You know, yeah, I I definitely can, can understand <laughs> where you're coming from there because it almost seems like people are like, but we've waited two whole years. It's like... <laughs> But we were in a three-year hole. Like we knew, you know, we we knew when we hired this guy that it wasn't. Did you expect to contend in 2013, in 2010? Because I didn't, and you know. And the the other thing too is that you're you're going to see this year, like like not only with the light of the tunnel or light at the end of the tunnel, but you're going to see this year. You're going to start to see. You're going to go to the ballpark and be able to see this plan starting to come to fruition and it's with homegrown guys. What is better than that? What is better than watching your team get good again with homegrown guys or guys that, you know, young players that you've traded for or a Matt Harvey or what there's why now? <laughs> like, why? It's crazy. I can understand it more. Like if, if this was 2014, I could understand it. It's like, all right, this was this was when it was supposed to happen. Why why are we still struggling? But I but to be so close and to have have gone through such, you know, tough times up until now, it just it drove me crazy. For some reason, it just struck a nerve with me this winter that people chose now to get on Sandy Alderson, and it just drives me crazy. Yeah, uh, and I remember. A couple of people, there are a couple of people who I, you know, enjoy conversing with on Twitter, who I respect, who, you know, I'd be scratching my head because they'd be complaining, how could we get not get an outfielder? And I'm thinking, like, if we had traded for Anthony Goes, you'd be complaining that Josh Tolley is the catcher. Like, it, you know, it, right. it yeah. goes so, you know, I think in a perfect world, this 2013 season is like 1983. When the record, thank is you. We we not just very good. We just celebrated here because we've been saying that literally <laughs> for four months. Literally, right. And we've, now, we've, <laughs> and if you're, lucky, if you're lucky, it's eighty four. If you're lucky, right. it's eighty four. And as you know? a disclaimer, I was not yet born. <laughs> That's in nineteen eighty three or eighty five <laughs> or eighty. You know, I'm born. So, but you know, it, it this team. It, it's not like they miraculously went from a 70-win team to a 90-win team without, right. you know, a lot of patience, due diligence, and a GM who understood it, that you had to build from within and make a couple of shrewd trades, bring in veterans like Keith Hernandez, you know, Gary Carter, to supplement this core of players that, you know, hopefully in 2013 don't find themselves, you know, dipping into the nose candy and ruining their careers. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, know this is what we're looking at. It's, it's, it's 1983, 2013. It's, that's you know, yeah. and, and again, years you, later, you could, hopefully, you could get you could get 84. You could, you could right. have 
you could have Harvey be Doc. You could have Wheeler come up and be Doc. You get you could you could get eighty four. You know, you, you just without Sweet Huey Brooks, but you could get you could get eighty four. Um, I I we've been saying this uh, literally for four months, and we talked about it with Rich Catino when we had Rich on, and he was he was great, and he totally agreed. And there's a guy who's even older than us, if that's imaginable. Um, <laughs> no, but there's a guy who you know was covering the team and was in New York sports when Cashin was here in the early 80s. And that's what all the – and the other thing I've said a ton and Cal has said a ton is that uh, right now, Sandy Olsen's trying to build the Giants. I mean, he's trying to replicate what the San Francisco Giants have built, which is tremendous front-end starting pitching, young power arms, good back-end uh, of the, uh, you know power arms in the bullpen, three or four solid bats, doesn't matter what positions they play. Although if you can get one at catcher, it's tremendous because it's an mm-hmm. extremely you know valued position and there's scarcity at the position. If you can get one at catcher, it's unbelievable. Um, and you know their starting outfield in 2010 was like Pat Burrell, Andres Torres, and Nate Scherholz. Okay, they won the World Series. I'm not saying the Mets are going to, but you don't need an all-star. Out- How's that all-star outfield for the Yankees worked out? You don't need an right. all-star outfield to win. You don't. You don't. I'd rather have the power on, but that's, and then you have a farm system that you've rebuilt, that you've stocked up, and you have the financial flexibility and the the farm system to make a trade for Hunter Pence, to make a trade for Carlos Beltran in season when you're making a run at it, and go get that outfielder. You know, so it's, I I mean, what, what we scratch our heads over, and we'll move on from talking about how lousy the Met fan base is and talk about like actual baseball, but it is how why are we in the minority is it is it because that the met fan base is so in love with this negative narrative and in love with the yeah. pain bro yeah you know it's it, and and i'm not sure it's so hard to to really gauge it because i really think the negative people are just always going to be louder regardless and it's going to take a lot of sustained winning to to change that, and even even when the Yankees had their heyday, you know, a decade ago, they still had their share their fair share of just spoiled brat fans who didn't want to, you know, ever be happy. And you know, maybe that's just what sports is. And you know, talking about how the Mets want to be the Giants, I you know, that's that's a it's a hell of a team to want to be like because yeah, as you said, strong power arms from the farm system, you know. Not not the best outfield in the world. Obviously, when they won it last year, the outfield was a little bit better, especially you know, but you know, getting guys like Pence midseason. But you know, another team that I think is an interesting uh, comparison is the Oakland A's, who I'm looking now at in 2011, Oakland went 74 and 88, which mm-hmm. is the same record, the exact same record, 74 and 88 as the Mets had last year. Yep. Going into last season in 2012, coming off that 74 and 88 season, everybody assumed that Oakland would be battling Seattle for third and fourth, and they end up winning 94 games, winning the American League West, and getting nearly to the ALCS. Now, I'm not saying the Mets are going to miraculously make a 20-game jump, but the point is, how do we know that they're not? You, right, because they don't have a Oakland big guy to do right. that. They don't, they don't have a big guy in their outfield. Well, I, I you know, I, I don't know if you were banking on Coco Crisp 
But right. uh, or, or Josh you know, Reddick breaking out at age 27. The Mets right. have a couple of outfielders are going to be 27 this year. Kyle Gill and Duda, who you know, maybe not the defensive players that Reddick is, but there's no reason that these guys can't surprise. And you know, the the the, the, the beauty of baseball is that it's so ridiculously unpredictable, yeah. like laughably unpredictable to the point that trying to predict exactly what's going to happen is just futile most of the time. And that's why, you know, would it, it would not surprise me one iota to see the Mets contending for that second wild card and finish third in the NL East this year, because I think the Phillies are really being overrated. And I think that most people are starting to catch on that the Phillies are old but I've been saying it since last year. Uh, I never once believed that the Phillies were a serious threat when they supposedly. And there's a great tweet that uh, one of my favorite Mets tweeters, Steve Schreiber from Amazing Avenue, always retweets. Carl Ravitch's not buying that the Phillies are dead tweet right. <laughs> because the Phillies were always dead. And yeah. every time they'd win two in a row last year, everybody said, "Here come the Phillies! Watch out for the Phillies!" Right and they're dead, and I, as far as I'm concerned, their championship window is shut. I think, and so. it's going to be the young teams like the Mets and the Nationals. Like, look at the Nationals; they came at a supposedly nowhere last year to run away with the with the best record in the league. And I'll know, say this though: in the playoffs and blah, blah. right. Thankfully, they choked in the playoffs because there's nothing more disgusting than seeing Davey Johnson lead that team. But I will say one thing too with the Nationals or the Nats. Or natitude, um, which really natitude. Everybody, let's just <laughs> let's just settle down. Um, intense. It's intense. It is. You're right, Cal. My bad. Um, is is that they lucked into two, not one, but two once in a generation players. I mean, mm-hmm. that's you can't. I you can't. That's not. That that has to be discussed. That they they basically lucked into. Strasburg and Harper, and you can't. That's not fair. I just yeah, want to and you're not I, exaggerating <laughs> at all when you call them once in a generation. They really were once in a generation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. that's not yeah. an exaggeration. It's not hyperbole at all. Strasburg no, and Harper were, you know, people knew when Harper was a sophomore in high school, right. and Strasburg was a you know a sophomore at San Diego State that the, they were going to be the number one picks when yes. they came out and. You know, they got bad at the right time, and here they are. Ah, exactly. Now, you – so you were born uh, late 80s. You come to yeah. the Mets in the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. John, how does that happen? Uh, we, I, I think Cal and I – you might be a unique uh, Mets fan for us. I need to know, how how do you start rooting for the Mets in the mid-90s? Because that's a bad time, man. Uh, it's – Third generation Mets fandom is what it is. My my grandfather was an old Brooklyn Dodgers fan who very stubbornly and steadfastly uh, was orphaned by his team and did not switch to you know did not switch to the L.A. Dodgers, did not switch to the Yankees. Waited patiently until the Mets were born, and he is is still I'm proud to say a Mets fan since day one, and. 
you know, he lives in Florida now, and I've been lo- I would love to get down there, visit him, and you know, take him to a ball game. I got to do that oh. two years ago. Got to go see the park with him, get some tacos and a helmet, and you know, <laughs> see, see some spring. If you guys have never been down to Port St. Lucie, the taco and a helmet is out of control. The best concession in baseball, and I've talked to Ted Berg about this. Yeah. They're never going to bring it to City to City Field supposedly. It's right. never going north. It's a Port St. Lucie exclusive. It is uh, for the for the listeners. It is essentially the same thing as an ice cream in a helmet, but a larger helmet and with taco meat and toppings. And you know, they I think they throw like Fritos or Doritos or yeah. oh, uh, some cor- some sort of corn chip in the in the in the lining of it, and it's it's fantastic. It's second best thing to actually watching spring training baseball it's a great compliment and that's awesome you know, yeah, we've, had, we've had ted on uh twice right i think we've had ted on the show twice and it's always turned to sandwiches or tacos conversation uh, yeah. the conversation eventually winds up in sandwiches or tacos and you can and, never go wrong and ted yeah. is great and but but yeah, I got my fandom from my grandfather. He passed it on to my mom, and my dad's a Met fan too. So really, we're a family of Met fans. I'm probably the most serious, diehard sports fan of my family, and I think I get that from my grandfather too. Who right. you know can say he 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 tells me all the time how I many he played little league with Sandy Koufax before Koufax was even a pitcher. He's a first baseman. Ah. You know, he's got he's got stories like that. He's an old school Brooklyn guy and you know, I grew up in Queens, got to go to Met fans. My parents, you know, took me out of school to go to opening day ninety eight, the fifteen inning game, you know. Oh, it, oh it was eighty nine degrees that day. Oh, it was so hot. And <laughs> yeah. It was worth it. We didn't leave for like the thirteenth inning because finally, you know, my dad was like, Let's get out of here we listened on WFAN the whole way home. But it was not easy growing up in in Queens, I'm not fan, you know, in this era where the Yankees go to five World Series in six years and win four of them, it, it wasn't easy, but, you know, I'm proud to say that I've weathered that storm and I can't wait till it turns back around. I always, I've always believed that really in this city, there's 33% of the baseball fans are Met fans, 33% are Yankee fans, and the other 33 are just fair weather bandwagon, whoever is the best at the time fans. And in 2006, we really thought there was a chance that it was going to flip back over. Yep. The Mets were going to take control of the city. And we all know how that went, you know, how that ended up going. But I really believe that the, the, there is a large contingent of baseball fans that can be swung back over if and when that happens. You know, it's amazing when, as Mets fans, and you look at the history of the Mets, the 50-year history of the Mets, it's like no matter what generation you fall into, you've kind of got the same story. You've got a little brief period of of prosperity in there, but you kind of had to pay your dues to get to it. And like you were talking about, you had to get through the mid-90s to get to the the playoff teams of 99 and 2000 and then in 2006. Steve and I came around in the late 70s, and we had to get through that to get to the, you know, the the, the mid-80s of the Mets. We got guys that were were with the Mets from the beginning, like your grandfather in 62, and then he had to get through that to get to 69. And it's like it's one of the things that Mets fans have. It's like a a bond that everybody can kind of get together on because no matter what generation you're from, as a Mets fan – you've got a very similar history. 
Yeah, and that's what that's what I love about you know Twitter and interacting with these Mets fans on Twitter is that we all really want the same thing at the end of the day. We want the team to win, and you know some some people have the you know their biases and the you know the players and guys that they don't like and all that good stuff. But you know when the Mets win, and you know I'd like to think it's coming sooner than later. When when they, when they win, we're all going to be happy, you know, most of us, and, and we all want the same thing. And but at the end of the day, we split hairs and we argue these semantics about, you know, is Daniel Murphy overrated? And you get people who hate Daniel Murphy because everybody loves Daniel Murphy, and people who love Daniel Murphy because everybody <laughs> hates Daniel Murphy. When really, Daniel Murphy is pretty average, and everybody. Re- overreacts to another straw man's view of him, and it, you know it's just a perfect microcosm for the fan base. Sometimes, it's, yeah, and it's know, and it it's, it's sports too. I mean, I mean, everything in New York is intensified. I, I've lived in a bunch of different places in this country, and I've seen a bunch of different sports fans and, and sports fan bases, and everything is intensified, especially with the. You said something very interesting. Um, this idea that you know we all, as Met fans, want to win. I think there's a difference where, where there's a delineation you can probably draw, though, with certain Met fans in that uh, I, for one, of course, want to win, but I want the team to win. But I want sustained winning too. I want right. I want this team to be. That's why I think I. One of the reasons I think, and Brian, I think you're with me too, that we love Alderson so much because. He, we, you know, we've known for three years. He has, he clearly has a plan, and it's probably a really good plan. And the guy who had the team before didn't have a plan, and the organization as a whole since about 1980, or you know, or after the Cashin years, I should say, you know, Cashin takes over in 80, he's there till 91. It didn't have a plan after that. It was. Uh, you know, uh, build through the farm system, spend money on free agents, spend money on free agents through the farms, whatever. They had no plan. They had nothing they stuck to for a, an extended period of time. And I want this team to be good for a long time. I want this team, I want sustained winning. I want a Yankee run. I mean, you know, look, I'm not going to make the playoffs 15 times, you know, in 16 years. But, well, maybe. You know what I mean? If You want to go, go into every season at least knowing there's a chance. That's it. I just want to. I want. I want sustained competition. And if I have to rebuild right. two or three years to get it, then so be it. Because I'd rather have. I, I not rather have that. But I, I. I've been a Met fan all my life. I'm going to be a Met fan all my life. And I want the team to have sustained winning because that's that's what you want. You want to go into every season and feel like, wow, we got. Wheeler and Harvey, and they're coming into their primes. We got David Wright, who had a tremendous year last year, and Travis. You know, you have this team, and you know, I, I want my core four. Where's my core four? All right, that's. <laughs> I, but th- that's, and, and I think there is a difference. I think there, there is the Met fan, and you're, you must be a, an old Met soul. I guess your grandfather taught you well, because mm-hmm. most of the fans that are your age are Met, uh, Met fans your age who have never seen a World Series. Mm-hmm. And have never seen a World Series win are ridiculous. They want to. They don't. They would sell fifty years of losing to win a World Series this year. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I don't want to be a, a crappy team for the next twenty five years to win one World Series. 
You know, what good is that? I won a World Series 28 years ago. I haven't sniffed one since. You know, I right. want I want sustained winning, and I think I think they're building that. I really do. Right, because you know when you had the previous regime, it was Omar Minaya basically fixing last year's problem every year yep. and not anticipating yeah. the problems that would you know come you know the given year, and ended up being a disaster. Two thousand nine was the perfect example of that, but with the Mets, you know just like the Jets, hopefully, with John Idzik, they want to be sustained perennial contenders year yep. in and year out, knowing you've got a chance. And yep. it's a beautiful thing if you can have that, and I think you have to be patient to build that because it does not come together by accident. We said it, we've said it. we said it a million times, but we, we've been doing this show uh, so long and doing the podcast that we we did a show the day that George Steinbrenner died. Remember that, Cal? We we actually had a show yeah. that night. It was before yeah. we were a podcast or on Block Talk Radio or anything. So basically, like three people heard it, and two of them were us. So, um, but <laughs> the other guy in the room, <laughs> the other guy was our buddy uh, F. But um, but we talked a lot about how George. The best thing to happen to the Yankees was George Steinbrenner getting thrown out of baseball, because during those years, the organization. <laughs> was not under his control and they actually built a winner and they got and they got Pettit and Williams and Jeter and Posada and Mariano Rivera and how many of those guys would have been shipped out in impatient moves to uh placate the fan base and because there was a nutbag running the team in George Steinberg. So like we were saying his legacy is the best thing he did was getting kicked out of baseball. That's, that was the best thing he did as an owner because he finally wasn't around to screw with it. And they actually <laughs> built the team from the ground up. And my hope is that someday we'll look back at the Madoff debacle. And, John, you know I've tweeted this. I do not care for the Wilpons. <laughs> I, do, I do not like them at all. This is not any sort of exoneration of them as owners. But maybe someday as Met fans, we'll look back on the Madoff disaster as maybe the best thing that happened to the team because they got Sandy Allison, they got Di Podesta, they got Richardi, and they finally got a plan and rebuilt the team for sustained winning. So maybe. I'm hopeful. I don't know. You know now you, you mentioned the Jets. Before, <laughs> before we get to that, you wrote a, a post today on, uh, and John uh, has a great website called theshayfaithful.com. Um, and, of course, is the lead jet writer for rant, uh, uh, RantSports.com. Uh, so we'll get to that in a minute, the, and, and the Jets, because, my, that's fertile ground. Um, but you wrote, a, you wrote a really you know a quick post today about uh, a fan group, maybe starting from Matt Harvey, um, and uh, Harvey Danger and Foulpole Sitta, uh, based on, you know, uh, Matt uh, Harvey Danger, uh, or Matt Danger, Harvey, or Harvey Danger, however you want to do it. Harvey Danger. Harvey Danger, Harvey yes. Danger. Thank you, Brian. We're old. Yeah, we're, we are old. Uh, what do the kids say? What's that song? It's so loud. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, now that I know how old you are, that, that you know of some of the other fan groups that we've had. And obviously the Coneheads came to mind. Mm-hmm. 
and that was a great fan group, and they wore the the the, <laughs> the street cones on their head. A lot of drinking at Shea in those in those late <laughs> mid mid to late eighties teams. I mean, the team was doing it, the players, you know, the coaches. I'm sure Davey Johnson had a flask on him at some point. And then uh, you had the K corner with Gooden, and the K corner was awesome. And of course, it was you know you had Kiner's corner, but the K corner was great where they would put the K's up. I think we need something like this. I think you're on to something. I think we need to. I mean. If Make we're gonna if we're gonna get the spirit of the eighties back in eighty three, eighty four, eventually eighty six, why not bring this back? Why not why not have this, you know, and you know, I don't remember the cone heads, but I've I've seen it on, you know, S and Y and Mets Yearbook and all that stuff. I, I do remember the K corner that's uh, like that's a staple in baseball now. I don't think people there's a lot of people my age and younger that probably don't know that those the strikeout cards are are a Doc Gooden thing. That's where he yeah. came from. Yeah. Same thing with the curtain call and all that stuff. And yeah. you know, it bums me out that I missed those late '80s teams. But you know, there's no reason we can't make City Field our own. And I do call my site the Shea Faithful because it doesn't matter what the stadium is called. That's we are the Shea Faithful, and we always will be. And you know, it doesn't. You know, the ballpark is a its a beautiful ballpark. And I think anybody who disagrees either hasn't been there or is just completely full of themselves. And I, I wrote this post today because, you know, a couple of us on Twitter were batting him around. It started with uh, the Markham Asylum, which I think is, is phenomenal. <laughs> Markham, uh, Asylum. <laughs> Markham Asylum. I love it. Where we can oh, dress up it. like Batman villains and all right. this crazy stuff for any Sean Markham starts or Nieces pieces. We just throw candy bars at people and John Nieces on the mound. And then the Harvey Mark. Danger one came to me because that song is so 90s to me. And it's, you know, I don't even know if Matt Harvey is even aware of the song Flagpole Pulse right. by Harvey Danger. But it's such a fun, just mindless song. song. It's a great song. It is a great song. And, you know, the fact that we could roll a starting pitcher out there any day and have, like, a ridiculous theme and just have drunken fans or, you know, for the youngins, you know, fans hopped up on Coca-Cola, now Pepsi at City Field, Pepsi Ports and all that. <laughs> just losing their minds and going nuts and just cheering on this team because just because they might not be a very good team doesn't mean we can't have fun doing it. And, you know, you want to have fun at the ballpark. And, I, you know, I thought that these – And grow with these, the kids. Grow with the kids. Right. right. Someone, one of my followers suggested Ike's Tykes for Ike Davis. You could have these, there's limitless things that you could do here. Now I am just one man. I can't go, you know, get a seat by the by the pole and start the foul pole fitters. We might Harvey have to do it. We might by have myself, to do it. But we can, yeah, we can do this. We can, we can get this, and maybe we could get the. Darren from the seven line, he's right. got ridiculous reach. So you know, who knows? But that's it's a great it's, idea. I love. Uh, you know what I would like for Markham Markham Asylum? <laughs> I think we should hang little straight jackets for every strikeout. And there's a <laughs> double entendre on bats because it's Batman and baseball. Batman, bats. Hey, baseball. There's, there's so much. I'm glad we signed this guy. Not only because you know he seems Good like signing. pretty yeah, it's a pretty shrewd sign. I like the signing. They'd be able to give him four million dollars for a guy. The ERA in the threes every year, you know, be a fifth starter, fourth starter, whatever it may be, and you know why not have why not have him 
want to come back, why, you know, have fun and see these fans dressed up like morons going nuts for him. And, yep. you know, even if he's got a Chris Young fastball, whatever, whatever it may be. And, you know, it, it's just bringing it's fun back call. to the ballpark because people complain that City Field isn't Shea and it's not, it's not Shea, but it's a hell of a lot nicer than Shea objectively. And, you know, if you can give it some of that Shea spirit, then it's going to be our home field. And, you know, that's, that's what you want. Yeah, you know it's it's different than Shea, and I didn't. I wasn't. Unfortunately, I wasn't there for the Santana no hitter. Were you there, John? No, I was actually at a family reunion, and I ducked out of dinner, watching it in my room by myself, just freaking out. And it was great because I was able to, after the final out, run back and find my grandpa who was somehow oh, nice. somewhere. It was awesome. That was that was. That's I was awesome. freaking out. I called one of my friends. She thought I was having a heart attack. She didn't know why. I was like, turn on <laughs> SNY right now. You know, yeah. You know, these, that was, these moments. Yeah, it was awesome. And it was a great yeah. moment at City. I don't know if uh, City needs the playoffs. I mean, they, they need to. It does. But that's what I was going to say is that I, I happen to be there two nights later for John Franco night of all nights. But there was there was such an there was such an energy in the park, and that was the first time in what was it four years that City Field's been open? Mm-hmm. 19, yeah, in the four years that City Field's been open, that was the first night that I had been there that it really felt there was there was an energy. It was it was June third, and the Mets were still in it, and they were a surprise, and Santana just pitched the no hitter, and I kind of got a glimpse of what it could be like at City Field. And and John, you're on to it. You know, we we want to bring back the fun to the park, and you want to grow with the with the team. And and there is there is absolutely no reason why the fans can't go and have a good time and really create their own, you know, create a new legacy at City Field. Yeah, and create a new experience there. I mean, you guys are spot on. And 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 John, it is a great idea, and it is a way to make the ballpark around. Look, when the when the the K corner started. Or things like that started. The Mets had been drawing, you know, for years. They've been drawing six, seven, eight thousand people a night. I mean, it was Shea Stadium was empty. It was a terrible place to come play. And then all of a sudden, these young players were coming on, and you know, the fans started their own thing. I think it's a great idea. I really do. I think we should start a movement. I don't know. Uh, I think we should, you know, get that kind of thing at the ballpark uh, with fans acting like idiots, but into it. It's, it's fantastic. I'll do that. I'm a 38 year old man. I don't mind. I'll put on my right. I'll put I'll put on my my uh, Harvey Danger uh, T-shirt. You know, seven line. Hey Darren, seven line. He he does have some crazy boy crazy. He, you know, and, he can a, he can assemble armies. He 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 calls it a seven yeah, line army yeah. now. He really he literally can get an army of people. And you know, there's there's something there. I think there is there is a some some sort of gold mine. I don't know about a gold mine, but you know, there's there's, <laughs> well, there's something to yeah. It's amazing. That, I mean, he shows he shows you the power of Mets fandom right yeah. there. You know, he, put he it really in the positive does. energy, and you know, it's amazing it's, how it's many people thing. hate him. It, yeah. that that kills me. How many people hate this guy? I mean, if you're a Mets fan, there's nothing. There's really nothing objectionable about the guy. He makes T-shirts. He started a line. Uh, he he's being successful for the team that he loves. Like, why can't we just be happy? For he's him? a he's a hardworking local guy. Yeah, why why can't we know? just be happy? Why can't we be happy for people? His jealousy is an ugly emotion. 
Because we're New Yorkers. Because we're New York. That's right. Okay. <laughs> all right. Here's Mink with the Flesh. All right. Um, <laughs> John, we're we're gonna save the Jets for another time because I I I we 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 have to. But I will say this. I will say this. We we would love to have you back on. and We'll talk about the Jets and stuff like that. Um, and stuff like that. Please oh, Rex. Yeah. yeah. No, I'd love to. I'd love to be back on. I went Rex for one. I say, A, I'd love to be back on to talk about the Jets, and B, it's this is exactly what you want from a Rex Ryan offense is be able to kill the clock to the point that you don't have to let your, you know, a guy like Mark Sanchez, you know, we, we that's what we do. We effectively just ball control the entire you know ninety minutes there. That's right. We, and, we uh, ball control the the podcast. But before I let that's, you go, that's, that's ground and pound right I there. Do know, I, I do know. <laughs> I did. That's ground and pound podcasting. Okay, that's something and all that stuff. You know that we never did and all that stuff. <laughs> um, but before I let you go, uh, Cal and I, and of course uh, Bishop, who, who hasn't spoken, I'm sure. Are you still there, Bish? Are you still there, PJ? You know, John. Just so you know, uh, our buddy. PJ, very, very upset with you right now. Very upset. <laughs> He's holding grudges. I think. What did, what did we do? No, Kelly you. Me. What do you mean? I'm not mad at Cal. I'm mad. I'm mad at Sand Pete over there. You're still <laughs> angry. You're harboring this. My cat's mad at you. Everybody's mad at you. Your cat's been mad at me for 14 years. We had that one little experiment with a lighter, and that's not my fault. She does not forget. She does not forget. That's why every time I call you, she starts meowing like a crazy wild cat. She knows it's you. She does. She does. I I started giving me the stink eye. Um, I'm sorry, Peach. I thought you were p- p- trying to be fancy. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, if I hit that button, I don't know how it happened. <laughs> but, uh, no, I didn't mean... <laughs> that was did, I, I didn't mean to step on the intro. I could just see the cat stepping all over your keyboard and doing that on purpose, hitting buttons. Um... The- did you hear Ben Stiller's uh, going to be in the new Arrested Development uh, series? That's what I was just... We were just going to discuss uh, with John. I was going to get John's impressions... I don't know if he does impressions, but I was going to find out how he felt about some of the casting leaks that we've seen, um, and ask you about them too, Peach. Did you have you seen the casting? I saw two. I throw this on you guys, get you guys takes. Um, the first one was Seth Rogen. Not sure of the role. And uh, did we talk about this last week? We did a little bit, Cal, right? We we ta- we talked about that it would have to be. It would be like Judd Apatow was making a movie about the Blutes. That's right. <laughs> and that's how it would work. Right. That's right. We talked about it. It needs to be meta. Like somehow Judd Apatow is in there making a movie about the Blutes and Seth Rogen is playing himself in the movie about the Blutes. <laughs> um, but the other one was Kristen Wiig. Now, John, uh, we don't know how you feel. How do you feel about Kristen Wiig? I, I like her. I, I I don't think she's been overexposed just yet. I mean, there's a couple SNL characters she did that kind of got a little stale, but she was really carrying the show for a while, so I don't think that's really her fault. She kind of overexposed her, but you know, she's she's funny. And the thing about the casting is, you know, there's there's gonna be people who complain that there shouldn't be so many guest stars, but hello, like how many guest stars were there the first time around? You had, you know, Bev Stiller's wife was on as uh, Sitwell's daughter, and you had you know, the Martin Short episode, which is probably the most hit or hit or miss, I think, among fans, the Martin Short episode. I love that episode. <laughs> it's, it's, you had guest stars 
almost every. I mean, yeah. Charlize Theron was on for for a five episode arc. It, I, I think it's ridiculous to complain about you know guest stars and Arrested Development. And no, I don't think there's any show that really weaves these crazy that, you know appearances in better. But that's it's, the concern. That's my concern. My concern is that I don't want them to have star like stars knowing about the show mm-hmm. and wanting to be on it. And just right. have, like, like I don't think Mitchell Hurwitz will do this. I don't think you know he's got. You're, he's, you're worried that this is a Jimmy Smith and Star Wars situation. Bingo, bango, and Samuel, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson. Like I'm worried about Samuel L. Jackson being right. in the Ideally, you don't want you don't want people coming in and kind of shoehorning a role in for them. But exactly. you know, I'm I'm pretty confident in Mitch Hurwitz and his ability to just. Be able to make amazing television with whatever talent he's got, and I can, you know, I cannot even express in words how excited I am this show's going back. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm really me not a, worried about it at all. A, so, Stiller's going to be back as Tony Wonder. Yes, oh, which so is good. great. It makes me think of there was a there was a line he had as Tony <laughs> Wonder where he. Gives like Buster a Hanukkah cookie or something. <laughs> He's like pulls it out from his ear and it's just like, right. "Here's a Hanukkah cookie, man. Yeah, enjoy that." Like, right. there's there's no such thing as a bad guest star in Arrested Development. Maybe many, any other show. It's not it, as long as they're not bringing in a new cast member to try to make them a main cast member. Right, exactly. are, yeah, it's going to be great. And the, the you know, Samuel sure L. Jackson was... as a Jedi. That's my big concern. Samuel L. Jackson exactly. as Jedi Master didn't need to happen, okay? It just didn't. I mean, the movie was bad enough. We didn't, we didn't I'm a big to... fan of the movie. <laughs> I'm a big... <laughs> What's your... Uh, give me... <laughs> I just keep seeing Stiller in the dumbwaiter, and it's like he's got all the food all over him because it hasn't <laughs> gone down. He's just waiting for someone to say the word wonder to pop out. Just waiting for somebody to say wonder. (laughs) Michael, did you hear I made the new issue of Poof? I'm in the new Poof. Um, What? uh, Give me a favorite episode, John. Oh my God, Uh, a favorite episode. You know, not to be cliche, but I think I have to go with peer pressure in season one. The first time we meet J. Walter Weatherman, and you have. George Michael saying it was it was mine. I was buying the marijuana so I could smoke the marijuana like a cigarette. That delivery of that line is Perfect. ridiculous. That yeah. the first time Jay Walter Weatherman and just oh my, if he, oh. if there was one episode of the show that you had to take with you on a desert island, I think it'd have to be that one. But it's a rare show where they never had a dud episode, not one. Nope. So you know it's really like picking between kids there. PJ always, PJ uh, always. I got into it later. I, I, I maybe watched the pilot, and then I lost the show. Like I sort of. You can, a, you can argue the pilot is the worst episode, just because it got better every episode. Like that's it's, how it's, it's the show. The pilot, the pilot's tremendous. I mean, the, the, just Job's line right. of, you know, that's that's what you give a <laughs> drugs or something you give a or candy. <laughs> a trick is something a hooker does. Or money or candy, um, but PJ, you always you made the great point, and and I really, I've I've ingested this series like over a weekend, you know, like where I've just taken in all three seasons, just as many as back to back as I possibly could in the past, and 
The Not a lot of cleaning getting done over there that we negatory. Um, <laughs> no, that was. Uh, we're not, we're was, not picking was, up the baby's toys this week. No, that was that. Yeah, that was. <laughs> we're not picking up the baby. That's right. That was a weekend where Wes was on his own. Um, we gave him five bucks in a bottle. So good luck. Um, no, you you said it a long time ago, Peach, and I really hope that they can can they can do this with the ten or thirteen episodes that they're releasing on Netflix before the movie. And that is, they set up jokes and 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 situations in season one for season three. Like, it was mm-hmm. like Buster's hand. I mean, Buster's hand literally, him losing his hand, literally gets set up in season one. Like, there are allusions to him losing his hand in season but, one. Yeah, it's in but the first episode, the, yeah. It just makes the, the, the series so rewatchable. Yeah. I mean, you could go back and watch it a million times and still catch something different. Do you have concerns about Sarah, John? No. It, you know why? Because I I think it was a panel. I'm not sure what, you know, what the panel was for, but they had the entire cast and Mitch Hurwitz uh, talking about it, doing Q&A, and they... They revealed, I think it was Hurwitz who revealed that the rumor that Michael Sarah was holding up, holding up a reunion was something that Hurwitz himself floated out as a fake rumor <laughs> just to see if it would catch on. <laughs> and they, they, he thought it would be hilarious if people thought that Sarah was a diva now. Right. And as it turns out, not only is Sarah, you know, not a diva and is not one of the reasons that they, you know, it took so long. I actually heard that Sarah actually was in the writer's room for a couple uh, oh, episodes of this first season. I, so. oh, I, I love him. I, don't get me wrong. I love him. I, I, my concern, too, is he's so good. I mean, he, he, yeah. maybe it's his age, his delivery. He's so good um, that I worry, you know, being in his, what is, you know, he's probably 24, 25 now. Um mm-hmm. You know, maybe I, I just worry that because he's so good. I mean, he he's just tremendous in the series. I just hope he hasn't like outgrown this sort of awkward awesomeness that he that he had. Yeah, and and the way that they're supposedly going to release these episodes all simultaneously, yeah, and have each character have kind of like their own episode. Some some guys are having two episodes to kind of show you where they've been for the last five six years. Right. I, I can't wait to see how the writers tackle uh, Sarah going from, like, adolescent to adult, right. you know, because, I mean, the, the end of the third season, his life is just, I mean, yeah. I don't have to repeat what happens, but, we all, you know, there's so, uh, there's so many, like, hook just, there's so much, it's just right for comedy, it, yeah. it is, and everybody... Five six years later is, is you know I I've never been more excited for anything like this uh, to have a show that good uh, that really didn't get you know the the attention it deserved the first time around uh, to come back now with this cult fan base that and you know and the Netflix part of it is just a totally new thing I haven't seen the House of Cards show and I'm told that's really good too these Netflix exclusive you know Supposedly, uh, you can watch these new Arrested Development episodes in any order and find different jokes depending on the order you watch them. So, oh my goodness. if that doesn't say it all right there, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. what does. 
we we uh you'll have to be on the uh, on the panel podcast that we do uh when it comes out. I know it comes out May 4th. And uh we are definitely doing We're going to put a, out our own DVDs with our own commentary. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're definitely doing a a panel. We're going to invite Berg cuz he's you know Ted's a huge fan and and we're going to do a uh, an uh, an arrested development panel podcast. So you'll have to come back with us. But you got to come back and talk uh, Jets with us. So Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh you, you know where to find me on Twitter, so it's uh, just, you know, I, I'm not exactly overly busy these days as a <laughs> outgoing college student and ending up my, you know, ending my grad work this semester, so I, I've got some downtime here to just relax <laughs> and talk sports and, you know, appear on podcasts. I, it's it's uh it's a, the ideal life for me. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, we 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 appreciate having you on, uh, or you coming on with us, John, and staying on for so long. And um, you know, keep up the the great stuff. Keep up the posts. Keep after it. And uh, we'll get that the other thing. We'll get that Harvey Danger thing going. That's a good time, man. Yeah. That sounds I like an awesome so. time. It'd be great if we could get that going. Met fans, Met fan, dumb could really use a pick me up. And I think uh, just mindless. Uh, Stuff like that is exactly what we could use, especially when we still we're still we're still watching the game. I just want to preface that if anyone's thinking that we're going there, to, you know, we're not doing we're not going to do the wave. We're doing we're going to watch the game, exactly. maybe in costume regalia, maybe with ridiculous <laughs> themes. But we're there, we're there to watch the games and hopefully see some excellent young talent coming through the pipeline and give us a real reason to you know, hopefully have to you know ticket sales getting a little, you know, that's the beauty of another thing. I don't want to harp on, you know, that, but, you know, it's not going to exactly be difficult to get a group ticket thing going. It has, it has not been uh, a tough ticket to get. It has not. No. I coached, I coached third base one game last September. <laughs> so it was, it was not a difficult, not a difficult seat to come by. I told Timmy Tuffle, I said, take an inning off, buddy. I got it. We I had be my head of the curve here. I had my Timmy Tim Tim Tuffle no jersey. <laughs> All right, John, thanks. Take care, buddy, and we will definitely talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right. Hey, take care, John. So uh, that is uh, John Presser again. You can find him at uh, – and his, his Twitter handle is at MetsJetsNets88. And uh, also he is the lead jet writer for Ratsports.com, and he also has his own uh, Mets website called TheShaveFaithful.com. Great, great. That was – I enjoyed that thoroughly. That was a lot of fun. And he's and he's he's definitely on to something. Mets fans should try to have a little more fun with this yep. team. Yep. Uh, you know, no, enough with uh, the negativity. Totally. totally. I thought, uh, boy, that was really what a good guy. Really enjoyable. Maybe we'll uh, try to have him on for the uh, for the draft show. Absolutely. We'll try to have him live. Yeah. Uh, but again, uh, huge thanks to John for coming on, and uh, and BS in sports with us for a little while. Okay, we got a couple of minutes left. I gotta wrap early tonight, boys. I'm on a I'm on like a 5:30 a.m. flight. Oh, where are you going? Okay. I got I, I I got places to go. Well, I'm going to uh, to Tejas, my friends. And back that? to Tejas. That's uh, that's Texas, Cal. Texas, right? Right, right. Tejas. Using the Spanish pronunciation, I see. That's uh, okay. <laughs> Take it easy there. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones. Take it easy, Tommy Lee. <laughs> What's that guy there? Are you using the Spanish pronunciation there? I don't care. Uh, Peach, can we play the fun load music and do a little fun load nice? Do you, um, you want to? 
I want to ask you about the Oscars. I really want to ask you about the Oscars. You can you can ask me whatever you need to ask me. I'll tell you what you need to know. Fantastic. Yeah. There it is, baby. So smooth. Time for the RTU fun load. <laughs> By the way, this is a better song than the Oh, winner. <laughs> well, oh, please. I can't. All right. First. Is somebody <laughs> laughing at the end of that? Yeah, PJ. It changes think... week to week. That was Adam West. Yeah, I... Who was that? Adam West. <laughs> that was Adam, Adam West. Adam West just chuckling at the end. Just, I... He just he just called in and he laughed and I said, "Can you know? Can I put it on the track?" And he said, "Of course." I thought that was Fred Durst. Yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. Cracking up. It, but in like in a very like intense sort of way. Right. He's got such a great sense of humor. He really is a complete chucklehead. He's a silly head. That's the only way you can describe him. Peej, what you what do you think of Seth MacFarlane, first and foremost? Not bad. Not great. Solid. Is there a less... Uh, or is there a hosting gig that has... Is uh, more of well, a... Nice host- yeah, more of a no-win situation. That I mean, you know, Simmons talked about this the other day uh, on his podcast. I don't want to, you know, I'm not stepping on toes. Of course, he has 1.2 million listeners and we have like a thousand, but still. Um, but I was thinking that even as the show was going on, it's it's completely thankless. It's an absolute no-win situation. And I thought the opening made fun of that, made fun of that idea. Like I think he yeah, embraced it, the fact that he's going to get killed. Everybody's an idiot. Everybody, yeah, they, they people really still are. compare everybody, you know, to to Billy Crystal, which is ridiculous. Because if you if you go back and look at the Billy Crystal ones, he was doing Catskills, ridiculous shtick, you know, bursting into song. It, it doesn't age well. It looks bad. I thought he nodded to. I thought McFarlane nodded to classic Hollywood a couple of times. I mean, I think he was snarky and not snarky. Snarky is the wrong word. He wasn't snarky. That's the, the people don't know what snark means anymore. Mm-hmm. Was he satirical? Exactly. He's uh, satirical. He's sardonic. He's uh, mischievous. He's, he's he's maybe a little lewd. Sure, I'll give you that. We saw your boobs was a great song. Oh, I thought that was hilarious. I'm sorry. Sorry. Come on. Really? Is that offensive? No, seriously, do, do people were people offended by that song? Oh, are you kidding? Oh, he. I haven't seen. I haven't seen if, much of the scuttle. If you take a second to count up the number of Oscar nods that go to topless women, you realize the the list that he was reading off was legit. Now, of course, it was. You know, Kate Winslet thing. Yeah. How many times does she get nominated? Right. Many. And it was written off as sexist. I mean. Come Ridiculous. On. People don't stop to think. Well, it's not only that. It's they want everything in. They want everything they can possibly have. Like, what do you want out of the host of the Oscars? It's it's ridiculously thank. You know who was? What year was Hugh Jackman? Was that last year? No, Crystal was last, last year. year was Crystal. Hath- no, last year was Hathaway and Franco. No, that was two years ago. 
It was two years. Oh, right, because Crystal came and saved the Oscars. He stepped year. in for Eddie Murphy because Eddie right. Murphy backed out. Right. I want to say Jackman was three years ago. Oh, okay. I Jack liked was, him, too. Uh, Jack, see, he's a perfect host. He's a perfect but, host. Yeah, but he'd be better suited at the Tonys anyway. But Yes. Well, we all know Doogie Howser's the best Tony's host. Yes. Can't touch Doogie. Not Rosie O'Donnell? But Jack... <laughs> bite your tongue. Comac's own, by the way? Yeah. Or Rosie O'Donnell. But, um, no, but Jackman was a great host. But, he, you know, I thought McFarlane was, was really good. I enjoyed it. I thought he was funny. I thought he mo- tried to move the show along. I thought he was reverential. I thought I thought he was fine. You know, I thought... It, my, you know, the host doesn't do much anymore. <laughs> No, he's no, he doesn't. And he you know, I remember when Whoop, one of the years that Whoopi Goldberg um, uh, hosted, they gave her a few minutes to make a um, support the arts and schools speech. You know, they, right. she had she had stage time to you know to do something. Uh, most right. of what he was doing was come on back and you know see this person and that person, and here's your sort of. Uh, uh, Bruce Valanche, not Bruce Valanche joke. Right. Right. I I don't I just don't know. Uh we have a, a one of our faithful listeners listening live uh said that the word we're looking for is smarmy. Swarmy. Like McFarlane. Smarmy, not Smarmy. Smarmy, yes. Not swarmy. Smarmy. Or swarthy. And laughed at his no, not swarthy. He's not Greek. Swarthy. He's, he's <laughs> And he and he laughed at his own jokes too much, sort of smirky and laughed at his own jokes too much. I could see that. Mm-hmm. That's fine, but I but that's what I expected. And I I I it doesn't I don't know it didn't bother me. Hugh Jackman was four years ago. It five was four years, years. Five years. Five years. Two thousand eight. The other thing that I uh, just about Hugh Jackman was nineteen ninety eight. He was before twelve. Before the first X Men. <laughs> they said, "Who's this guy, Jackman?" Uh, is this you, Jackman? Charlie Chaplin? What? <laughs> Charlie Steve Chaplin. Martin was an excellent host. I thought. But Steve Martin has—he's right in between. He's the—he per- can stick the dagger into the—he can stick the pin into the celebrity and have the hot air come out, and you know, uh, not get killed for it because he's in that inner circle. You know, he's, he's with those people. Let me, before, just real quick, if any, anybody that's complaining about hosts, I don't remember the 1986 Academy Awards when the hosts were Chevy Chase, Goldie Hawn, and Paul Hogan. You know what? I have a recollection of this, actually. You remember that? I do actually remember watching that. Wow. Chevy Chase and Goldie Hawn really liked to hang out together. Yes, they did. That's a great movie. Sorry, Foul Play is a really good movie. That's a very good movie. They have a special friendship, those two. But what an odd collection of yes. you know, hosts of the Oscars. Well, that's why when when Hathaway and Franco, who, wow, boy, has there ever been a worse mail-in job than that? Yeah. Um, you know, oh, Try they're getting doing, there a week early, guys, to maybe, you know, rehearse. Yeah, maybe more. show up, you know, four or five hours before you start. Um, but everybody... Show you do cold. <laughs> he's saying you don't just wing the Oscars. Um, but everybody said it was like such a daring, and they had Chevy Chase, Goldie Hawn, and Paul Hogan host. 
Or how about the year before when it was Alan Alda, Jane Fonda, and Robin Williams? Oh, torturous. That sounds like that sounds like an actual punishment. Sounds like the love boat. <laughs> but that no, that sounds like yeah. You want your Oscars? Well, here's what you're getting. Here's your hosts. All right. Keep talking about the Oscars. Fine. Now go sit in the corner and watch Alan Alda <laughs> and Robin Williams host the Oscars. The thing I didn't leave, the only thing I really didn't like about the Oscars was the Jaws music. A little much. What? What? The Jaws music playing the people off? Yeah. But you understand why they were using Jaws music, right? See, I thought at first they were just being cheeky, but you did realize that it was a salute to 85 years of Oscar music. And so every music that they um, used when they were when a person was leaving the stage or whatever mm-hmm. was a best picture score. And they used Jaws as the playoff music because that guy went so long, he, not, he got not only Jaws, he got the theme from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yeah, but it was particular, uh, particularly obnoxious, I thought. I didn't think so. I thought it was funny. Come up with a nice light swell. You can't. They were honoring... What What? What best picture score would you have used? That's, you know, cheeky. It was cheeky. Besides, that guy needed to stop speaking. You with the cheeky. See, here's what we can learn from the Oscars. If you're going to win an award, be British. Because those people know how to give a speech. Yeah, they're better. They're just better. Yeah. Or be whatever Daniel Day-Lewis is. Is he Irish? What is he? I think he's Irish. Just, they're just better at it. <laughs> Cal sounds like he's over Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Some kind of Irish. He's Irish. The la- whatever. <laughs> the he's last half a fruit anyway. Who cares? The last thing on... On uh, McFarlane, I, I, I'm sorry, I have to take credit for this. I called the too soon Abraham Lincoln, John Wilkes Booth joke as he was making it. And I thought he blew it. I thought the joke was, so he says, you know, the, the, the line about getting into Abraham Lincoln's head, the best actor to do it was John Wilkes Booth. He, he knew, and the minute he came out of his mouth, I said, what, too soon? I turned to Teresa and I said, too soon? And he literally said it like 15 seconds later when the crowd sort of went, oh, you know, like moaned and groaned. He went, but he blew it. He should have just said, too soon. He said, oh, 150 years later and it's still too soon? It's not too much. You had it. You had the perfect the perfect way to use too soon. And he set himself up to use too soon. And then he blew it. Too much. Do you, do you think he gets asked back again? And he's already said he wouldn't come back. Oh, he has? Yes. He tweeted that it was a great time, it was a great experience, he won't do it again. I think the only thing worse than an Oscar gig is taking two of them. Is, yeah. It's it's a suicide mission. Who, uh, Simmons and Chris Connolly the other day on the BS report said the guy that they think of, and of course Simmons admittedly said he was biased, but the guy they think of taking over is Kimmel. Terrible. You're, you're again. I'm again. He can't he, carry he, a three-hour broadcast. Again. I'm sorry. 
Really? He, well, it's either it's either Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon. He hosts, but Kimmel's on ABC. Oscars are on ABC. Right. He's done live shows from the the Dolby Theater. Thomas, I can Dolby. I can see Fallon pulling it off. <laughs> He's charming enough. Brilliant. I see. I I could see. I could see Fallon pulling it off. I could see Kimmel pulling it off. He's starting to... He's doing well. He's starting to spark a little bit. I and, like the guy. I well, really do. I just don't know if he could do uh, and he did and the Emmys. Hour. Supposedly he did the Emmys and he was good. Yeah. It's right. going to be Kimmel... It's going to be Kimmel Fallon for the next 20 years. That's the, that's the next late night rivalry. With the prize walk on Wanda Sykes. Oh. Stop. <laughs> Please. All right, let me get quick uh, thoughts on the uh, the oh awards, the winners, There's the no losers. Um, uh, Peach, I talked about this a little bit in the uh, in the open, but uh, are you buying the Jennifer Lawrence here? Because they they talked about her on the Simmons podcast as if she had walked on water to on her way to get the 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 Oscar. You know, she's a she's she's a firecracker. She's spunk. Let's see what she can do. I, I guess. Do we have to put her in the same category as Streep ready? Or the next Streep? Come on. No. Who who said that? It's been bandied about. Come That's on, bandied about every year with whoever wins. All I'm saying is this. Didn't I Elizabeth thought... Shue win one year? She sure did. You you lay off Elizabeth Shue right now. Okay. Topless. Danny LaRusso is going to fight. <laughs> you lay off. Okay. But um, one but one win does not make you Meryl Streep. No, no, no but that's not the, what what people are saying is she's 22. Uh she was in See, I didn't I saw Silver Linings Playbook and I saw The Hunger Games. I didn't see uh the other movie. Um the uh the I can't think of the name of the other movie. But uh can somebody IMDb for goodness sake? I'll go. <laughs> Wow, I didn't ask you to take out the trash. Uh, <laughs> Cal's not having any of this. It, it, really but it, the 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 scuttlebutt is that she's uh, uh, can do anything in this sort of unstoppable force. There was a lot of that, and she yeah, handled so the. So was Shia LaBeouf when he came out, and where is he now? I'm not like saying Shia LaBeouf's going to be amazing. <laughs> You know my feelings on Shia LaBeouf, who just got fired from a Broadway play, by the way. Okay. Are you talking about the house at the end of the street? No. Okay. Wait, for Shia LaBeouf? Wait, we're all over no, the place. No, for, for Jennifer Lawrence. No. Winter's, Winter's Bone? Winter's Bone. That's what we're talking about. I did right. not see Winter's Bone. Supposedly, she's fantastic in that. But I, I saw Silver Linings play. She was good. But let's, I mean... Burned up the screen, couldn't take your eyes off her. Let's uh, settle down. She is very good in that scene with De Niro, though. Like the, did you guys see it? Did you see? I haven't seen it yet, no. Peach? Haven't seen a new release since The Return of the King. <laughs> what are you on, Strike? <laughs> since Return of the Jedi. No, I'm, I'm on diaper duty over here. Diaper duty? You keep like 17 and 12. Come on, a lot of diapers. You don't understand. Diaper duty. They drive to go get their own diapers now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Danny just called up Fresh Direct to get his own diapers. 
he's having he's, he's having them delivered to the black belt. So I don't understand. So are you just giving Jennifer Lawrence a vote of no confidence here, or you're saying what? What I'm saying is I'm not sure why. I know what you're saying. You're saying whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's take a step back here, please. Right. What did you think yeah. of Adrian Brody when he won? Did you think he was going to kill everything after that? Um, I thought he was brilliant in that movie. Yeah. I, th- I thought he he was great or whatever. But they're talking tra- – I'm just talking cr- career trajectory that they have this girl on. And the other- Oh, that, that's just the other what thing you about do with an actress because how, they're just so pretty and you, you, you just want that for them. How genuine she was during award season and stuff. I mean, really? Is this – this feeds into it? Genuine was a nine-year-old flexing in the seat. Yes. He was great. <laughs> She was she was great. I I was really hoping she would win just to hear, you know, a nine year old give a speech. Now I I am on record as saying that I don't think you should be eligible for an Oscar under a certain age. You didn't like when Anna Paquin won. Did not care for that. Mm. I didn't like when Haley Joel Osment was nominated. Mm. Now I've had this you debate. And I before. disagree with that. I've had this debate before with uh, other actors. And director types. Uh, I'm not staunchly against it. I can see it maybe in certain situations. But to me, a nine-year-old or an eight-year-old at the time when she shot the movie is really just doing what she's told. He or she is told. I mean, they're, they're they're really just going by the direction. Are they not? My nine-year-old wouldn't get out of the shower when I told her to today, so. <laughs> yes, but she doesn't want to work on any of your films anymore. Just just as a frame of reference, are we talking about nine-year-olds that have been nominated for Academy Awards? Yes, but I'm, no. I'm, talking, I'm just talking about the performance. I'm strictly talking I, about... No, I, I think it's a more special kid who can really turn it on and, okay. and be a believable person. Yeah, there's got to be there's got to be something more to it with the act the actor. But that's uh, that's definitely a fair argument, and the and the argument against it was always, or the argument that it, against it to me that was made that I totally can see the point was Haley Joel Osment versus uh, what's his name in Phantom Menace, um, Oof. right? And and you know two actors of uh, two child actors of like the same age. If you put Haley Joel Osment in Phantom Menace, it might actually be a passable movie. You know, because he's so I, I can see it, but there's I'm sorry. Michael Caine called him astonishing. Do you remember that? Yes. Michael Caine stopped his own speech to call Haley Joel Osment astonishing. Did he do it in fragments? He does short little things. Yes. <laughs> I believe <laughs> that this young man is astonishing. <laughs> Good night, you princes of New England. <laughs> Haley Joe Osment is amazing. Some people just want to speak in fragments. I am one of them. <laughs> so, um, you can make that. But I, I'm sorry. There's a, maybe you're right, but there's a debate there to be had. I think there's something to the idea that on the set, that kid is being told exactly what to do, and is that acting? Is that acting? 
they, that that kid's being told jump up and down on the on the chair and go crazy and scream like a wild person. Is that acting? It's following direction. It's a different psychology, though, because kids are capable of magical thinking. Absolutely. Whereas adults need to tap into their uh, Stanislavski or something. There's no. You could make the argument that that's better acting. I'm just saying that it comes from a a, a director. I mean, you can make the argument that there's no pretext there. The the, the nine year old doesn't have any sort of uh, uh, conditions uh, put upon them in their own life. Doesn't have to get into a headspace. Doesn't have to have a moment before it. it all of those things. You can a- argue that they're just being. And that is the definition of acting, perhaps. Wow, we really got What's that? child actors in that way. You're breaking up now, PJ. Just when you were about to say something poignant and salient and brilliant. Who cares? The Oscar. Poor PJ. Poor PJ. I feel so bad. PJ, call right back in. Call right back in. You're breaking up. Maybe if I put him on hold. Here, I'm putting him on hold. Oh, no. Did you hang up on him? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm bringing him back in. Oh, hold on. Here. So, PJ. He doesn't sound like he likes the Oscars very much. He doesn't. Well, that's what I was going to ask him next. Oh, right. Because I feel like I'm about to get ripped for my little statement about child actors. You guys, I, you guys can blame Terry Scannell for that one. That was a Terry. uh, That was Terry's. Terry's point was, isn't it? Is it not just based on direction? Like it's not like it's a play, (laughs) right? You know, you can yell "cut," and if the kid, if the child doesn't give you exactly what you want, you can just tell them exactly what you want. Would you? Would you give the? director of a film like that kind of more credence? Like, do, do they get yeah, like a degree of difficulty almost? Yeah, I think I think there are certain directors that have uh, worked really well. I mean, Spielberg, you know, how how great was Henry Thomas in E.T.? Well, even Drew Barrymore. Or, and Drew Barrymore was like seven. Was even younger. Right. You know, Drew Barrymore was like seven years old. Mm-hmm. So how much of that is Drew Barrymore? Yes, there's an inherent, maybe an intrinsic quality in Drew Barrymore that makes her great. But isn't some of it, a lot of the credit has to go to the director for being able to get that out of the the child? No, I agree. So, again, now, now keep in mind, I had, I, I'm going back on what I said before. I didn't have a problem with this girl being nominated at all. You know, I thought it was great that she was nominated. I haven't seen the movie, but I am familiar with the play. And... You know, good, good, good for her. And the the clips that they showed, it looks she looked amazing. She looked ridiculous. Yeah, that's what I th- I think there's something to what you're saying. I just don't think you can discount it as totally following direction. I think that there has to be some talent involved in the kid. Absolutely, uh, it, you're absolutely right. I I think I'm going more by the performance itself. Okay, that's fair. Like some of the like. How much credit can they take for the performance itself? That's all. What did you think of uh, Affleck and, and Argo and all that jazz? And all that jazz. Hey, he's back. Just about to call you. Uh, uh, don't ask me because I didn't see Argo. Right. 
So I can't. You know, and we know PJ didn't. Boy, this is a great Oscar conversation. Good job, everybody. <laughs> what did you think of Jennifer Garner making making that push face every time he he spoke to her from the stage? Ah, uh, that's that's garnered a lot of it. Ooh, Steve, oh, terrible! My goodness! <laughs> I just don't, don't worry, guys. I just hit myself. Don't worry. <laughs> that's gotten a lot of attention. The old uh, marriage is hard work. And especially and she, hard with you. And she just has this look on her face like, oh, please stop talking. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he almost forgot to mention his wife, and then he mentioned her and threw their marriage under the bus. Good job, everybody. <laughs> Great job, Ben. Uh, what I was thanks the deal? to my wife. Well, who knows, who, who knows how long that's going to last. <laughs> Not to get all TMZ on you, but what was the deal with Kristen Stewart? Oh, man. That's the only thing I saw from the Oscars. Wow. wow. That's what mass and alcohol looks like. What's the, what's the problem? Oh, wow. Wow. That's, that's, all, like that's all I had to say. Your skin is crawling off your body. Maybe you know, she's I, the next Meryl Streep, too. Maybe we can get all fired up about her. You know, I never I never liked her. She always annoyed me. But then when I saw her, that it was troubling. That's, she, a, that's she's a great kid. word for it. She's a kid, you know, when you think she about is. it. She is. Patton Oswalt had a tremendous tweet when <laughs> she was on. It's, I'm going to screw it up, but it was something like even even Peck and Paw and John Cassavetes knew how to cover up bruises on their arms for the show. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, it was all, what a shame. Come on. Yeah. I'm angry at her to begin with because she ruined On the Road. Well, she was one of many things that ruined on the road. The well, movie. Topless, so, you know. <laughs> there was that. Um, yeah, I... Now, there's another interesting thing that comes out of this. Why does everybody hate Anne Hathaway? That's easy. She right. she she couldn't she couldn't be less genuine if she tried. And I think she's, she's trying... Yeah, and I think she's trying really hard to be genuine, and it's having the complete opposite effect. Right. So she's the opposite of Jennifer Lawrence. This is why people are loving Jennifer Lawrence, because she trips up the stairs, and it's a genuine moment, and she has nothing to say, and she just, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Right, but the other one, it's 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 a, it's a, it's a put on. Right. Yeah. Okay. Anne Hathaway okay. knew she nailed it. She She knew it months ago. Right. And and she's been sort of playing it off, and you know, no one's buying it. It's disingenuous. Who It'd me? be better if she. Yeah. It would be better if she just strutted <laughs> a little bit and was like, "Yeah, I nailed that one. I got a good one." Right. Well, what's all this attention about little old me? Exactly. Yeah. No one likes that, and that whole no. like you said, this validates me as a human being or whatever. Yeah, we talked about that after the Golden Globes, where it's like, come yeah. on, yeah, this valid you needed Whoa. this to validate you as a woman and as a as a person. Come on now, so it's, it's a was- it's a Golden Globe, okay? It's not the flux capacitor. It's not it's not it's not a uh, you know the, the one ring. Let's calm down. <laughs> Golden Globe. It's going to be a paperweight about 10 years. 
Come on now. Settle down. Yeah, I, I, I like I, award shows. I guess so do I. Strangely, but you One know thing what I said is going on Facebook and, and and when everybody's piling on the award shows before they happen. Oh, I can't wait to sit down and watch all these people congratulate themselves. You know, and all this other serious stuff is going. I'm like, hey, you know what? You make a movie and make it not <laughs> suck. <laughs> Exactly. And make sure it's awesome and people go see it. You you try that. Yeah, go write it. Go write a movie. Yeah, do something. I mean, come on. Art and, is and have it good. These people got it right for once. Let them go take a victory lap, for God's sake. Yeah, I think there's a I think there's a level of self congratulation that I'm just fine with. Like, you know, it doesn't need to go over the t- like, like you know, we were just talking about with Anne Hathaway. Like, okay, you know, our uh, our listener has uh, written in again and said <laughs> and said uh, she's insufferable, pretentious. She thinks she's curing cancer. It's just acting. She didn't win a Nobel Prize. That's good. <laughs> That's exactly it. This is instant feedback. Yeah, but if we are but getting it, instant it, feedback. It's like, like we have like yeah, a chat yeah. room. But it's so funny. It's just like Cal said. It's like, what, little old me? It's like, shut up. You Who, shut me? Up. Stop it. What did I do? <laughs> well, I right. did declare. Did I, did I give a, a riveting performance? <laughs> I don't know why she has to be Southern. She has to be <laughs> like, like... Why is she Rue McClanahan? Right. <laughs> she has to be on the balcony of Gone with the Wind. I think, you know, <laughs> at Tara. <laughs> why? Well, I do declare. With an oversized parasol. <laughs> I was not intending to attend the Oscars. But since since an invitation has been sent my way, I do believe I will attend. <laughs> uh, I uh, Here's what drove me crazy. And you just said, Cal, like, I don't like the Grammys. I don't like the Grammys. And something in the Oscars that dr- – during the Oscars that drove me crazy. And you, Pete, you said this. You can't get the sound right. We can't get the sound right. I can't. Oh my! I can't. God, Billy Bassey is screaming. There's Are one sure? vocalist on stage. It's one mic. Can you turn it up? <laughs> Ridiculous. How hard is this? How hard is this? Right. Fun. And you know what? Our buddy Jay uh, Mafali, another sound guy, was talking to him about it today, Peach. And he goes, "You know what? I'd like to see just once." And now the nominees for best sound editing, and they cut to one of them, and he's in the booth doing the show. Right. <laughs> like he, he's not this in the guy. audience in a tuxedo. He's in the sound booth doing the sound for the Oscars. That's what I would like to see once. And why does sure. that ever happen? Can we get the best sound person in the world to do the freaking sound for the Oscars? They're sitting no, they don't there. Work it doesn't pay. It doesn't pay well. <laughs> Terrible gig. You got to sit in a truck. Right. I thought that was spot on. I thought that was totally spot on. <laughs> and now the nominees. Oh, he can't be with us tonight. He's doing the sound for the show. Nora, Nora Jones was uh, gone. She was just lost in the mix. And Shirley Bassey, thank God she's loud. <laughs> I don't think Shirley Bassey needed a mic. <laughs> they could hear her out on Hollywood Boulevard outside the Thomas Dole. Those pipes. All right, we already got about 60 seconds left of the live show, and we're going to wrap up the show, buddies, because i got to go to bed. 
You do it. You got to fly that plane tomorrow. Do it, Denzel. (laughs) I thought that was a joke, by the way, the clip they showed from that movie. I'm drunk right now. (laughs) Who wants to see that? Did you want to see that? Nobody wanted to see that. Nobody wants to see that about the drunk pilot flying my plane. No. No, no. But I thought that clip was a joke. Right. I was drunk that morning. I was drunk that afternoon. I'm drunk right now. <laughs> In front of a let's do, let's do a movie about a chef with no hygiene. Everyone wants to see that, right? <laughs> I, I dribbled at your food. I'm doing it right now. All right, that's it for the live feed. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Special thanks to John Presser. Uh, go check out his uh, com and, of course, Rant Sports uh, backslash Jets. And uh, we will see you all next week, a week from Thursday. So it'll be 10 days. All right, we got a couple seconds left here to wrap up the uh, uh, the the whole show, the whole mishpuka here, the whole thing. Um, but, yeah, this, that movie was called Flight. This one's called Botulism. Fantastic. Right. <laughs> Hugh Jackman is a chef with bad hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't bathe that morning. I didn't bathe. Wow! I feel good. <laughs> I'm I haven't taken a shower in three years. <laughs> I honestly, you guys, I Jennifer <laughs> <Lawrence>. <laughs> salad is not going to make itself. Chef, shouldn't you be wearing a hat? What for? <laughs> um, you choose hat or pants. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was drunk. Worst, worst movie ever. Ever. <laughs> I really. He's a hot shot chef. Hot shot chef. Hat or pants. I, uh. <laughs> I really fully expect to see Jay Farrow doing a spoof of Flight and, you know, playing Denzel and doing the exact same lines. This is ridiculous. How did this get made? Yep. And and up for an Oscar, no less. Because he's Denzel. Because he is Denzel. Uh, Okay. He's been in the train. He's been in the plane. (laughs) All right, young fella. Okay. All right. (laughs) All right. We're going to do this, young fella. All right. Okay, okay. Yeah, fly the plane. I'm drunk right now, young fella. <laughs> you know they got Morgan Freeman playing the president again, too. Nice. Ah, uh, now. Maybe he won't want Morgan Freeman to be the president. <laughs> they really do. Should, should we tell people there is a black president, or no? We we just we're gonna no. keep casting Morgan Freeman. Uh, right. We did it. Dennis, Dennis Haysbert, Morgan Freeman, you guys can go home. We did it. Done. We're five years into it. Bernie Mac. It's not, it's not stunt casting anymore. You know, there, there actually is a black president, everybody. <laughs> you know, throwing Chris Rock in a fish-out-of-water comedy about him being the president. Yeah, it doesn't... Watch what happens. You don't need to do it. And, also, and and it's another one. It's another movie about Washington being destroyed again. With Morgan Freeman? Yeah, it's called like Olympus Fell or something like that. Oh, that's right. I saw a trailer for that. It looked good. Yeah. 
It looked good, but all I know is well, well, it looked derivative of the other movie that <laughs> Morgan Freeman as the president when Washington was destroyed. That's two Morgan Freeman movies where he's the president and Washington gets destroyed. I'll tell you what, if the guy ever actually wins, I'm going to Canada. That's it. Because uh, there's an asteroid coming and some sort of Olympus uh, thing. I don't know. The Greeks. All right. It's all about the Greeks. It's all about. <laughs> all right, that's it, boys. PJ, final remote. Well, the challenge still stands. I want you guys to uh, bring in uh, the worst album that you happen to love, and I want to hear a defense of it. Oh, we didn't so, do that. Maybe, maybe next week we'll bring that in. And I want to have a discussion about gift cards. That's coming up. Gift cards. Excellent. Yeah. On the next Ready to Unload, gift cards. That's right. Are they killing you? <laughs> <laughs> Are they draining your bank account? No gift at all. <laughs> Cal, final unload. You're listening to the radio, and the song Africa comes on. Anybody that says they're changing the channel is a liar. <laughs> that song is 30 years old, and it holds up to this day. I found myself trying to harmonize with the band Toto today, and I love that song. Which you should never try without a special safety goggle. <laughs> uh, and my final unload is uh, is this. Uh, it's it's very early in the baseball season, but it's back, and I'm ecstatic. And uh, I can't wait to go to a Met game. There, I said it. I may try to go opening day. There, I said it again. Enjoy baseball. These are things that you're supposed to enjoy. Okay? It's sports. It's fun. Now knock it off. Amen. All right, we'll see you guys all. uh, That was like my CBS Sports Minute there. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll see you all, uh, all a week from Thursday. In the meantime, please check out the podcast on iTunes and subscribe and uh, thanks